Okay, uh, this second part will start describing the female reproductive system physiology. Brief review of the anatomy here. Female reproductive system includes the uterus that connects to the outside through the cervix and internally will connect to the uterine tubes both sides and surrounding the ovary, which is the main uh, organ, the gonad in this case. All of these structures are surrounded by peritoneum. You can see rich network of blood vessels surrounding all these organs. And one of the things we see related to the uterus here is the presence of three layers, starting with the innermost, which is the endometrium, second layer, muscular layer, myometrium, most external, the perimetrium, which is actually the peritoneum of the pelvic cavity. In the sagittal section, we can see this arrangement of the reproductive organs. We see the uterus connected to the tubes and ovaries, and the presence of the uterus in between the urinary bladder. <coughs> and the rectum, urinary bladder anterior to the uterus and rectum posterior to the uterus. Well, the ovaries are the main gonads, the main organ. This is a place, as well as the testes, production of gametes and production of hormones. Here the gamete will be the egg or ovum, we call it an oocyte, and the sex steroid. Case of sex steroids will be two estrogens and progesterone. The uterine tubes, the uterine tubes are very thin, small ducts that will connect the ovaries, which actually catch the oocyte after ovulation and bring it towards the uterine cavity. Um, these finger-like projections that surround the ovaries are called the fimbriae of the uterine tubes. And this is a place of fertilization. This is where the sperm meet the egg in the uterine tube. The uterus is a place where the embryo will develop after fertilization. We'll see some slides later how the fertilized egg continues its way to the uterine cavity and it will develop there. As we mentioned, three layers, endometrium, myometrium, and perimetrium. And the cervix is the lower part of the uterus that connects to the vaginal canal in connection to the outside. First of all, oogenesis. And what's the difference, oogenesis and spermatogenesis? There are important differences. In this case, the oogonium, this is the primordial, the germinal cell. In the case of the male, we call it the spermatogonium. We have to trace a line here because there are two different times of development, before birth and after puberty. Before birth, all the oogonia, all these oogonia will turn into primary oocytes by simple mitosis. 
So at birth, there's no more oogonia. The difference with the male is that there are spermatogonia at birth and until puberty. But here, there's no more oogonia. There are just primary oocytes, which get stalled here in this stage of development. And still, to end, 46 chromosomes. So from birth until puberty, the ovary remained dormant, no activity there. At puberty, the meiosis continues here. This primary oocyte will turn into secondary oocyte. And there is no two, there's only one. There's actually two, but the other cell is actually not a cell, it's a remain of a cell known as a polar body because it's a small uh, DNA compass surrounded by a small amount of cytoplasm that will not progress and it will just be reabsorbed. So it's one-to-one -one development. There is no one-to-two as in the case of the male. Now the secondary oocyte will get arrested into metaphase two. And this is the point at which ovulation will happen every month. And if there is the encounter with the sperm, then this egg gets fertilized, completes meiosis, and right after turns into a fertilized egg. And there's another polar body as a result of the meiosis. But what we see is one-to-one. -one. From one organium, we see only one egg. And there's a difference with the male because the ovaries will have just a limited number of primary oocytes at birth. And after approximately 30, 35 years, the ovaries will have no more oocytes. And that's the moment of menopause. Uh, um, like the other uh, diagram for the male, until when is like still 23 chromosomes, or 43, 46 chromosomes? 46 chromosomes all along. No, 23 chromosomes is a secondary um, uh, spermatocyte. 23. And this is what we just described. It says, toward the end of the gestation, the female's oogonia begin meiosis to make primary oocytes. So at birth, there are primary oocytes in the ovary. And the ovaries and the newborn, there are about 2 million primary oocytes. And by puberty, that 2 million will actually end in 400,000. This is what the number, approximate number of primary oocytes um, at puberty. Now every month, in the menstrual cycle, and ovarian cycle, one egg will be released, ovulation. But if we count the number of oocytes or eggs that are ovulated in a lifetime of reproductive life, which is like approximately 30 years, once a month makes 12 times a year, 12 times 30 will make 360, approximately 400 of these will be ovulated. And what about the rest, the difference, will be reabsorbed during the process of ovarian cycle and menstrual cycle. Now these eggs, and this is a picture of the ovary, they are surrounded by a number of small cells. This is the oocyte. And they're surrounded by a number of cells that are different. In this case, flat cells and few cells around them 
we call them primary follicle. The follicle, the term follicle, refers to the oocyte plus the cells surrounding it. In this other case, it's a secondary follicle because we see the oocyte here surrounded by more cells. There's an increased number of cells. So all these primary follicles will turn into secondary follicles like this. <coughs> and that happens during the process of ovarian cycle under the influence of hormones. So these follicles that are the all sites plus all the cells around it will respond to FSH. This is the main hormone that will stimulate, and that's what the name comes from, follicle-stimulating hormone. And this FSH will start making the cells around the oocytes to multiply, they will get more and more amount, and will start making a fluid. And this follicle now will turn into secondary, which is bigger. And it will end up like this. Oocyte surrounded by a number of cells space here called antrum filled with fluid. There are two different things, the follicle and the oocyte. The oocyte turns from primary to secondary and the follicle from primary to secondary, but they, they are not at the same pace. The follicle is just the size of the oocyte plus all the cells surrounding it. The oocyte, secondary and primary, refers to the stage of development of the oocyte, which is different. Now, doesn't match with the primary secondary follicle. So, so in this to, case, what, yes. Sorry, just to understand, so the, the primary oocyte is smaller yeah. in the initial space. So, and now it's converted into a secondary oocyte because it's bigger. Oocyte is just this. The follicle is all this. Now, you see in the previous picture, All these are primary follicles, talking about the oocyte plus all the small cells around it, which is just a layer of flat cells here in the primary follicle. Then later, under the stimulation of FSH, it will turn like this. The oocyte, yes, increases a little bit of size, but what we're talking about here, secondary follicles, all this. Now the oocyte, will turn into secondary oocyte at some point, but it doesn't mean that this is primary oocyte and this is secondary oocyte necessarily. This is probably primary oocyte still, but inside the secondary follicle. What it changes is the follicle. Exactly. Thank you. That's why we say as the follicle grows, the primary oocyte finishes meiosis one and turns into a secondary oocyte. And then the secondary oocyte 
stops at Metaphase 2. It will not complete its development either. It will complete only when the sperm meets the ovum and the ovum gets fertilized. So by the day 10 to 14th of the cycle, which in average lasts 28 days, 30 days, one follicle gets very large, one follicle. Now how this happens is that every month, at the beginning of the cycle, FSH is made, huge amounts by the pituitary gland, and that stimulates both ovaries. In both ovaries, all the follicles will start growing. A number of follicles, thousands of follicles will start growing, turning into secondary follicles. All sites also turn it into primary oocytes, secondary oocytes, and so on. But at some point, when day 10 to 14 come ar arrives, one follicle, one follicle, the one that gets the largest of all, and the first one to get really, really high, really large, that is the one that is ovulated. Only one. And that's called mature graphene follicle. That's mature follicle, which is the one that is ovulated. Now, the question is, what happens with the rest? I mean, thousands of follicles have been growing and all sides turning into secondary oocytes. They are not going to be ovulated. They are going to die. They go into apoptosis. That's why from 400,000 at puberty, after 30 years, after ovulating approximately 400, there will be no more oocytes, no more follicles in the ovaries. Because every month, Thousands of them develop, but only one is ovulated. If we get the whole organ, we see something like this. At some point, especially during the day 10 to 14 of the cycle, we'll see some of the follicles like this. But only one of these, the one that gets the largest, and we see many other different stages here in between. We see another one here. Only one will be the one that will be ovulated. And this is a photograph that actually is how this looks. The oocyte, I mean the, the follicle gets really close to the wall of the ovary and actually breaks down, breaks the wall of the ovary and through a small hole, the oocyte will be ovulated. It's like injected through that small hole on the surface of the ovary. And where it goes, it goes here, and then the, the tube, this is the tube, the urinary tube, the fibrin, it is not in contact with the ovary, so the oocyte is just released to the, like the outer space, it's pelvic cavity. But the fibrin here, always making this movement, and like exerting negative pressure, and as soon as the oocyte is ovulated, it's captured by the fibrin in that way. Well, sometimes it may happen that the oocyte will just fall into the cavity, it will never be uh, gotten by the fimbria. Or if the urine tube is defective, there's a scar tissue here or something, there will be problems, problems of fertility maybe. What is the corpus luteum? After ovulation, only the oocyte will be released, as we see here. 
or neocyte, and all those cells surrounding the oocyte, cells of the follicle will remain in the ovary, and it will turn into corpus luteum, which is this yellow body that we see here. These cells will make progesterone, which is the second hormone made by the ovary. It actually secretes both, but more progesterone than estrogen. Estradiol is the name for estrogen. And we'll see how important these two hormones are for the menstrual cycle or uterine cycle. Menstrual cycle refers to all the changes that happens in the uterus, especially the endometrium, through the 28 days that this cycle lasts. There are three phases, menstrual, proliferative, and secretory phase of the cycle. Menstrual phase, the beginning, we consider day one of the menstrual phase the first day of menstruation. And whatever number of days that the menstruation lasts, that is the menstrual phase. In this case, like five, six days. Then we have the proliferative phase, what we see in the endometrium, this is showing the endometrium, it starts getting thicker and thicker and thicker until the day 14. The day 14 of the cycle co correlates with the ovulation here on the top. We see what happened in the ovary. The primary follicle tended to secondary follicle and the vesicular of mature and ovulation. After this day 14, the endometrium will enter into the third phase, secretory phase, which the endometrium gets thicker, but most important, rich in nutrients and blood vessels. And what's going on in the ovary? In the ovary, in the second part of the cycle, the corpus luteum will be forming and producing the other hormone, progesterone. All these changes in the endometrium happen in response to hormones made by the ovary, which are those estrogens and progesterone. First part of the cycle, proliferative phase in response to estrogen, secretory phase in response to progesterone. In the ovaries, we can also make this correlation of at the same time what is going on. First part of the cycle, we call it follicular phase, because the follicles will start changing, start growing, until the day 14 when ovulation happens. And then in the second part of the cycle, the luteal phase, because that's the moment when the corpus luteum uh, forms and start making the progesterone. <coughs> And here we have the correlation of all the things that happen in the ovary, in the endometrium of the uterus, and the level of hormones. First part of the cycle, see the level of estrogen starts going up and up and up until the middle of the cycle. And what happens with the endometrium? It gets thicker and thicker and thicker, proliferating. At the same time, in the ovary, follicles are developing, are growing. And since they are growing more, they are making more estrogens. That's why the estrogens are getting higher. This estrogen is made by the ovary. 
Now, why is follicles are growing in this way? In response to FSH, which is made by the pituitary gland. At the day 14, there's a peak of LH, and this LH will determine ovulation. And after ovulation, corpus luteum will make progesterone. And we see how the progesterone here starts rising in levels. This is made by the corpus luteum. And this progesterone will make the endometrium turn secretory. We see the endometrium getting thicker, getting rich in the nutrients, and blood vessels. Finally, at the end of the cycle, what happens is this corpus luteum will start getting smaller, will stop working, and therefore the supply of estrogen and progesterone will start declining. Will start declining, and the endometrium will have no more support from these hormones and the cells will die, the menstruation of the next cycle will happen. This is what happens in the ovary, the follicular phase. The primary follicles turn into secondary follicles, into graphene follicles, and one of them is ovulated. Estrogen production increases during this time. Granulosa cells are the cells surrounding the, the oocyte. This follicular phase is in response to FSH. FSH stimulates the follicles to start growing. And, of course, increasing the level of estrogen because the follicles get bigger and making more estrogens um, day by day. Until mature follicle and ovulation will happen because FSH and the estradiol or estrogens will stimulate production of LH receptors in this follicle. And the LH is a hormone that determines ovulation. LH, peak of LH, will determine ovulation of this mature uh, follicle. The peak of LH, the LH surge, occurs approximately 24 hours before ovulation, and in the next 24 hours, ovulation will happen. The graphene follicle rupture goes through the wall of the ovary, and this all site will be released. After that comes the ovarian luteal phase. The luteal phase Corpus luteum develops and starts making estradiol and progesterone, more progesterone than estradiol. After ovulation, progesterone starts going up, going higher and higher and higher, and these estradiol and progesterone inhibit FSH and LH at the pituitary gland. Negative feedback. So every single day of the cycle, there are three levels FSH, LH, estrogen, progesterone, and finally the action on the endometrium. Endometrium of the uterus, ovaries, and pituitary gland, they work in a coordinated way every single day of the month. Finally, by the day 18, the corpus luteum will get smaller, the cells will start dying, and the levels of estrogen and progesterone decline the endometrium lacks support 
from these hormones and the cells start dying and they are shed as menstruation. And again, this diagram showing the correlation of every single level. Uh, hormones from the pituitary gland, what happens in the ovary, levels of hormones of estrogen and progesterone, and how the endometrium changes along the menstrual cycle and ovarian cycle. So any problem that happens to the level of hormones at any point will determine perhaps a problem in menstruation, perhaps a longer cycle, perhaps a missing period. Yeah. Question. This may be a little bit off topic, but I know that um, birth control pills they have synthetic forms of estrogen mm -hmm. and progesterone. Mm -hmm. So how is that? Um, does that stop the actual population? Yeah. What happens with the um, the pills? What they do is inhibit ovulation. How? For a regular development of endometrium every month. What is required is all these, I mean, these two, estrogen and progesterone, to be changing. Estrogen increases in this way in the first part of the cycle and progesterone in the second part of the cycle. Now, the pill, what it does is it contains estrogen and or progesterone, depending on the product. But what they do is actually maintain the same level of estrogen and progesterone throughout the month. So there won't be cyclic changes. The ovulation occurs because there's a peak of estrogen here. So if you're taking the pill, you're not having this peak. Why? Because you're taking a number of estrogen and progesterone, and if you remember the axis that we showed before, the estrogen and progesterone that the pill contains is enough to inhibit the pituitary gland. The pituitary gland is inhibited, no FSH, no LH are made, or low, very low levels, and they want to stimulate the ovary. So during the time that someone is taking the pill, there is no changes in the ovary. There is no growth of follicles. There is no ovulation. There is no corpus luteum. Actually, you see the ovaries of someone taking the pills is smaller. That doesn't mean that it's not working, because as soon as the pills stop, the ovaries will resume and start working again. But during the time that pill is taken, there is no ovarian cycle. Now, this level of estrogen and progesterone in the pill is estimated to a point that would make some changes in the endometrium, would make it grow a little bit, but not normally. And if they are stopped, you've stopped taking them, then bleeding will happen, which is not a actually normal menstruation, it's actually a loss of some of the endometrium that was stimulated by the amount of estrogen or progesterone in the pill. But it's a type of bleeding that will tell you, okay, this is the, you stopped it, and um, now the ovaries will start working if you don't continue taking the pill. So during the time that someone's taking the pill, there is no ovulation. That is the point of the, of the pill. To regulate the cycle. Hmm? Yeah, because it's not actual period. It's not an actual period. The endometrium is not growing like this. It's maintained a certain level. The estrogen and progesterone that you take in the pill 
is constant during the whole month. And that will stimulate the endometrium to grow a little bit, but not normally. And then if you stay, stop taking the pill, that thin endometrium that was developed is gonna be lost because it lacks support from the pills that you're taking. But technically it's not a normal menstruation because the endometrium was not normally developed under the pill. But as I said, that doesn't affect the organs because the levels are estimated to a point that which would not completely uh, produce atrophy in the organs, just temporary cessation of the function. As soon as the pill is stopped, the ovary will resume working, the next cycle will start, the endometrium will start growing again normally, and so on. Now, during the years, this has been changed because the first formulas of the pills they were really strong and some women um, had these cycles inhibited for one or two years sometimes. They stopped taking the pill and they didn't have any period for one year and then after this resume. So along the years, this has been improved and nowadays you take the pill, you stop taking it and cycle resumes quickly in the next month. So the terms proliferative and secretory, they refer more to the endometrium, like the, uh, and it matches. Proliferative phase occurs in the endometrium while the follicular phase is happening in the ovary. And the estrogen is the one that stimulates the growth of the endometrium. Endometrium has two layers, actually, functional and basal. This is functional is the most superficial. The basal is closer to the myometrium. This is the, the one that changes, the functional, the stratum functional or functional layer. Blood vessels develop, becomes thicker during the proliferative phase. And in secretory phase, the ovaries are in luteal phase. Corpus luteum is making progesterone and that progesterone makes the endometrium rich. Glands will develop in the endometrium, glands that contain lots of glycogen, especially for uh, anticipation of the fertilized egg. If there is fertilization, this fertilized egg will find an endometrium rich in blood vessels and nutrients to start the development. And the menstrual phase happens when, as I said, this endometrium lacks support from estradiol and progesterone because the corpus luteum degenerates and the menstruation happens when the blood vessels constrict, the cells will start dying, and all these functional endometrium or stratum functional is lost as menstruation. Changes in the menopause. Menopause is a point at which the ovaries have no more follicles, no more oocytes. And therefore, there won't be more production of estrogens because the estrogens are made in the follicles. And this is what happens with the time the stradiol, this is the age here, 50 and 60, the stradiol level progressively 
decreases and decreases and decreases to very low levels as well as the progesterone. There is no more follicles, no more development, no more corpus luteum, and both will be at very low levels. Now, thinking about the axis, if there's no estradiol and progesterone, there is no inhibition of the pituitary gland. The pituitary gland is still working, it's still producing FSH at all ages. And since there is no inhibition, the FSH that we find in the blood is very high. And that's actually one of the markers of menopause. If we want to diagnose menopause or know if someone is going into menopause, we take a blood test and we find out the level of estradiol and the levels of FSH. If the estradiol is very low and the FSH is high, that's menopause. There are different degrees, different levels. But we can say, well, this is perimenopause, this is menopause, it's already happening, and so on. And all based on the axis that we just said, negative feedback. Symptoms are due to the loss of estrogen or the lack of estrogen in the blood. All the hot flushes because of vasodilation, um, estrogens are important for the maintenance of the organs, so there will be atrophy of the walls of the vagina, will get drier, the loss of glands, and uh, estrogen is not, all, not, important, not only important for the reproductive organs, it's also important for different parts of the metabolism, and increases the risk for atherosclerosis, osteoporosis, uh, because of the lack of estrogen in, um, in the whole physiology. Now, in the last part, let's see some things related with fertilization, pregnancy, and parturition, lactation. Um, first, let's start with the process of fertilization. More than 300 million sperm get into the female reproductive system after ejaculation, but only 100 of them, approximately, will reach the fallopian tube or uterine tube. Now the sperm, the sperm has to be transformed, not transformed, but changed in the process called capacitation, which takes place about seven hours after ejaculation, where the pH of the environment increases and the flagellum tail is, we say, activated, what happens is actually the pattern of movement will change. When the sperm cell gets into female reproductive system, the pH of the vagina is acidic. And so these changes will make the sperm change its pattern of movement. And this capacitated sperm, sperm will get to the oocyte, we'll have to go through the urine cavity and go through the urine tube and through chemotaxis and thermotaxis. Because the sperm doesn't know which ovary ovulated that month, maybe the left or the right. And how does sperm know? That's chemotaxis. The signals that are sent through the cells of the reproductive tract of the sperm, so they know that they have to go to the left or go to the right. 
Fertilization, the process of fusion of the sperm and egg, happen in the uterine tubes. And this acrosome that the sperm cell has will release the enzymes, as we see here. And these enzymes of the acrosome will digest and dissolve this area called zona pellucida, which is protecting the egg. This is the ovum or egg. You see how the sperm is releasing the acrosome and the enzymes, and this layer is digested. So the membrane of the sperm cell gets in contact with the membrane of the egg. And it's a fusion of membranes, and the contents of the sperm is inside the oocyte now. Now there's a process here when the sperm gets inside the oocyte channels of calcium are activated and calcium is released from the endoplasmic reticulum. This calcium, one of the effects that it has is prevents other sperm from entering the oocyte. So only one will get in. And as soon as that one gets in, it's sealed completely. Only one. Some rare cases can be seen and it's called polyspermy. More than one sperm gets inside the oocyte. And usually the, this product will not continue developing because there will be three pairs of chromosomes and that is not compatible with life. But it may be seen sometimes, not commonly. And the other effect of this calcium is will activate the oocyte. Remember the oocyte is not completed development yet. It's in meiosis too but not completed. So after the oocyte enters, the oocyte will complete its meiosis and it become an ovum completely developed because it has to fuse with the DNA of the sperm. Before that happens, the, uh, the ovum has to be completely developed in terms of meiosis. And after this happens, the fusion of DNA will happen. In hours after the sperm enters the oocyte, the chromosomes will join, and now we have a cycle. Diploid, diploid, zygote, 46 chromosomes. Now at this point, we should mention these two options that sometimes happens. Uh, twins, which can happen at different stages of the, this process. The twins are called identical or monozygote, or monozygotic. They come from a single ovum but the twins that are called fraternal or dizygotic comes from two eggs. Sometimes not only one egg is ovulated, but two. And if there are two eggs, or each egg may be fertilized by a different sperm, and you have two fertilized eggs. And that's what we call dizygotic or fraternal twins. The identical twins is a process that happens. It's not well understood yet. A single ovum, one egg, one sperm, at some point, it splits in two. And that's why they look alike. People look alike. We don't understand very well how, how that happens. We see that happens. We don't know exactly why that happens. What is the stimulus for that to happen? So for the dizygotic, it's, it's, it's one sperm and two eggs. Two sperm, two eggs. Oh, two sperm, two 
Okay. Yeah, each oh. each egg has to be fertilized by different sperm. So at that at that chance, uh, uh, there was no release of calcium quickly enough, and then another sperm entered. No, there are two eggs. Two different, oh, eggs. different eggs. Two different eggs fertilized by different sperm. Okay, sometimes there are not two, there are three, four, five, or eight. Many. Like uh, some years ago, this lady had eight, I think. Yeah. I remember that case. It was a huge belly like this. So that's a summary of what happens in, um, in the figure. Um, primary oocyte, secondary, secondary oocyte, and metaphase <laughs> 2. And here we see the sperm entering. And the zygote is fusing with the nucleus made of egg. And sperm are fusing the chromosomes. And the zygote is here with 46 chromosomes. And right after, it divides into cells. And the development has started there. All that happens in the tube. After fertilization, the process called cleavage will happen. Cleavage means mitosis. The cells will start dividing quickly. Modula, we call that ball of many cells that we see after four, three, four days after fertilization. And it starts getting or traveling toward the uterine cavity. For five, six days, we call it blastocyst because there is like a collection of fluid inside. That's why the term blastocyst. We can differentiate two groups of cells the inner cell mass, which will become the fetus, and the trophoblast, which is the outer cells that will become the cells of the placenta. In the picture, we can see the sequence. We see the ovulation here, the egg getting into the uh, tube. And when the egg reaches this part called the ampulla, that's where it meets the sperm. The sperm has to travel all the way through the urine cavity, get into the tube, and reach this point. Fertilization happens here. And the process of development, the zygote, will happen at the same time, this is traveling toward the urine cavity. You see how all the stages are changing here. And when it reaches the cavity, it's at the modular stage, and then blastocyst, and then what comes here is implantation. The blastocyst gets implanted on the wall of the uterus. The endometrium, which is rich at this point, is in the secretory phase, waiting for the um, blastocyst to arrive. The process of implantation happens approximately six days after fertilization, about a week after fertilization. This area, all the cells surrounding the inner cell mass will actually get in contact with the endometrium and it will start invading the tissue of the endometrium and sending projections around blood vessels and glands and that's when they get, are going to get the nutrients. But the, the complete blastocyst it's buried in the endometrium at some point, as you see here. So if we get an instrument and we see the surface on the endometrium looking for the blastocyst, where it is, you probably won't see it. It's buried under the endometrium. 
then afterwards when it starts growing more then it is um, it is better seen and during this process there is a hormone being produced and released called chorionic gonadotropin we use this letter to name it HCG this hormone is made just by this blastocyst and it's used as a diagnosis of pregnancy. But there's no other tissue in the body that will make this HCG. If there's HCG in the blood, that means that there's a blastocyst in the body. And this HCG works like LH. Because the corpus luteum, remember the corpus luteum degenerates in the second part of the cycle. Well, this HCG keeps the corpus luteum alive. So the corpus luteum keep making estrogen and progesterone, which are important for the development in the first weeks. And important to keep the endometrium. That's why the missing period, because the corpus luteum is still working. And the endometrium gets even thicker to nourish the blastocyst. Now about 10th week of development, the ACG will decline in levels because the placenta the placenta will start making estrogen, progesterone enough to maintain the pregnancy for the rest of the time. This HCG is made following a pattern as we see here in the x-axis the months of the pregnancy and this HCG starts being making and the peak happens at approximately six to eight weeks. And then it starts declining because the placenta will start growing and making progesterone and estrogen that will maintain the pregnancy for the rest of the time. Now here in this picture we see the embryo, very initial, the inner cell mass, and all the cells surrounding it is what we call the trophoblast. This is buried in the endometrium. And all these spaces will be spaces determined by these cells, by projections that get and surround blood vessels and glands of the endometrium. Yes? What's the trophoblast? I'm talking about these spaces. Oh. Yeah, these spaces that start surrounding blood vessels like this, these projections. And that's actually the process of formation of the placenta. Because at a later stage, we will see this. The embryo is more developed now. We can see a connection with blood vessels. And these blood vessels are coming from the placenta, which has been developed at this point. Now, since this embryo is growing, now you start seeing on the surface of the endometrium here. And these blood vessels of the placenta, they have a characteristic. This is the maternal side here. This is the wall of the uterus of the mother. And this is the placenta of the embryo. Now, the blood of the mother will not mix with the blood of the fetus, the embryo. There's actually a membrane that separates both bloods. And that happens in the placenta. 
all the nutrients they go by diffusion uh, but there is no mixture of bloods and the final arrangement we see it something like this these blood vessels of the mother from the uterus get to these spaces where the blood vessels of the fetus will get uh, all the nutrients from and all of them will reach the embryo through the umbilical cord And we see that with more detail here in the circulation of the placenta. This is the maternal side, the maternal blood vessels. If we follow one of it, this blood will actually fill up these spaces. It's not like small containers where the blood of the mother gets. And this like container with blood of the mother, that's where the blood vessel of the fetus will get inside covered by a membrane so the blood will not get in contact and that's how nutrients get and this blood returns to the mother after being exchanged nutrients in the placenta now the placenta is not only for exchange of nutrients or supply of nutrients to the fetus but also has very important endocrine functions. Proteins, like the ones we mentioned, HCG, that work like LH, but also works as thyroid-stimulating hormone because it's very similar to the thyroid hormone. So it also works in that sense. And the chorionic somatomammotropin, which has an action similar to growth hormone and prolactin and is going to be useful for the development of the um, ducts in the mammary glands. Also, the placenta secretes steroids, stradiol, progesterone, estrogen, progesterone. Progesterone will inhibit the labor it's actually one of the things that were used some time ago in cases of miscarriages or uh, threatened abortion. Uh, progesterone injections were given following this principle. Progesterone inhibits the labor uh, contractions. Cholesterol are needed for, to produce all these hormones, and that cholesterol comes from the maternal blood, uh, and the fetus provides the enzymes for the production. Now some words about the memory glands. Memory glands are groups of um, glandular tissue located in the subcutaneous tissue of the chest on top of the muscular layer, the superficial to it. And all these group of glands, they connect to ducts known as the memory ducts. They have an ampulla and all of them drain to the lactiferous duct draining different areas in the nipple. During the pregnancy, changes happen in the memory gland. The hormones, insulin, pyroxene, cortisol, will make the cells more sensitive to estrogen and progesterone. So therefore, the progesterone stimulates growth of the glandular tissue. Of the alveoli, the cells are going to produce.
produced in milk. And this estrogen stimulates the growth of the tubules or, and the ducts. So during pregnancy, the mammary gland gets ready, growing number of cells in the glands and ducts for the next step, which is lactation. For this to happen, prolactin has to be made by the pituitary gland. The prolactin will stimulate the production of milk. Well, the prolactin is inhibited by the prolactin inhibitor hormone from the pituitary gland also. And when the placenta is eliminated at birth, after birth, now there, no, there won't be estrogen because the placenta makes estrogen. But the estrogen is the one that is inhibiting the prolactin. There's no more estrogen, prolactin is made. And the mammary glands have been developing already. Alveoli, the glands, the ducts, etc. They're ready. Prolactin is released, and the cells will start making and producing the milk. Question. So yeah. they're using estradiol and estrogen interchangeably. Uh-huh. Yeah. The generic term is estrogen. There are different types of estrogens. One of them is estradiol. Now, the nursing maintains the levels of prolactin and prolonging the time that the cells are making milk and uh, providing enough supply. Nursing also stimulates oxytocin secretion. And the oxytocin is going to stimulate contraction of cells around the lactiferous duct. And that's what we call the milk ejection reflex or milk or milk leg letdown. So oxytocin does not make the glands to make milk. They help for the release of the milk. Prolactin is the one that stimulates the cells to make the milk. And here we have the loops that are related to this. It's actually hypothalamus, posterior, and anterior pituitary gland helping here because anterior will make prolactin and the posterior oxytocin. Both are needed. How they are, they are stimulated? The nursing, the suckling, the sensory input will arrive to the hypothalamus. And that will stimulate the release of oxytocin and prolactin to guarantee that this process will continue as long as the nursing time um, is maintained. Okay, that's the last one. Any question, any further comment?